The Free Vision app is where you'll find a growing range of on-demand audio and video to help you look to God daily. Search Vision Christian Media in your app store. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Well, let's get things underway today and open up a conversation with Charles Newington like we do on a Thursday. Charles is the National Director of Family Voice Australia and has some wonderful insights on so many issues that are shaping not only our nation, but as uh, we'll intend to do today, talk about some of those issues that are shaping the world. Uh, Charles, a special welcome back to 2020. Thank you, Neil. Uh, Charles... It's good to have you back. And let me take you to uh, the first part of a conversation here and uh, casting our vision across the seas, the international scene right now. Uh, Let's focus some attention on the escalating protests in Hong Kong and the tensions with China. Uh, Charles, uh, things do seem to be getting out of control here. Yes, they certainly are heating up. It's... um it's coming out of this extradition law that was cancelled, but nevertheless it was viewed by particularly the politically active in Hong Kong as evidence of mainland China seeking to limit Hong Kong's freedoms. And so even though the bill's been retracted, they are still very adamant that they want to send a message very loud and clear to the mainland that um, Hong Kong has um, a long tradition of uh, political freedom and it values it very highly. But Things are getting out of control, as you can see, and the, where things are at at the present moment is that um, China has moved some forces um, uh, to the border with Hong Kong, and um, the question is, is this just posturing? Is this just sending the message to the to the Hong Kong radicals that um, that the next stage could be could, could be this kind of military intervention? Um, although obviously they don't want necessarily to do that because of the global uh, public relations <laughs> implications yeah. of um, Tiananmen Square Mark II, uh, uh, just, uh, they just don't need that. The world doesn't need it. Interestingly, though, China moving forces into position, the possibility of imposing order in Hong Kong, and at the moment it's a war of words really that's going on and the whole world is watching but you're concerned, Charles, that if there is some sort of imposing of order that comes from the Chinese, uh, the rest of the world is likely to be quite reluctant at that point to get involved. Uh, that becomes quite a serious issue then for people who are in Hong Kong, doesn't it? Yes, uh, I agree. I, I don't think we should be expecting sort of US warships in Hong Kong, a harbour type thing. That's not what's going to happen. But... Um, it's more the political pressure uh, of the world community that um, that does have uh, it has trade impacts. It it has um, it it recharacterizes uh, Hong Kong as a hardline communist regime, and um, you know they've spent a lot of time trying to um, restyle themselves as a as a sort of a modern um, quasi free society. And um, they've needed that in order to play the dominant role that they have played in uh, in, in world affairs because it hasn't just been an economic, um, what we might call, um, expansion. It's uh, it's been an expansion of influence across the world, and uh, and and that uh, you know that 
that that means actually jobs and and um, and income for the uh, for the regime that it, that it needs in order to sustain things like its um, its huge military. So so this is um, this is a very fine balancing game that they that they're having to 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 to, to, um, to play. Charles, what are your thoughts for us here in Australia and how we could easily become? embroiled in the argument, not between those who are in uh, Hong Kong and China, but, of course, uh, uh, the US involved in all of that, and uh, we have our ally contacts and uh, relationships. How do you think Australians might be affected? Well, it's an example of the exhausting, uh, the resource exhausting, the trust exhausting um, consequences of uh, of uh, what we might call, um, you know, a, a kind of a quasi-military expansion um, by, say, a group like China. So what's happening is that not only does it unsettle the whole global balance, but it makes uh, people like ourselves get invested in building naval ports um, in the South China region, you know, with uh, with allies. Uh, and um, and uh, and here, very right on our own territory in Darwin, we've got the we've got the Darwin Harbour lease to Chinese interests, and now we've got um, a relationship with the U.S. to build an, uh, another naval base, a U.S. naval base right adjacent to that. And um, clearly, that's a message. You know, it's a it's a three hundred million dollar message, but it's a message to um, to China that um, that that the White House is watching very closely and it's not going to let them expand their influence without um uh, without real pushback so uh, we're right in it you know we can't uh, we can't uh, disentangle ourselves and uh, i can see that our prime minister is working very carefully to try to walk both sides of the road at the same time uh, diplomacy very important obviously in this sort of issue let's turn our attention to another big potential flashpoint and that is in the Middle East where Iran is restarting the nuclear reactor that it uses to make weapons grade uranium plutonium. Uh, there's a major issue there that faces the world as well. Yes, it, it, you know, it, it wasn't so long ago that we kind of felt that, um, that, um, uh, that um, nuclear weapons were kind of part of the past but they're very much part of the future. These days, and um, and you can see in the Middle East, Iran is is upping the ante by doing this, and it's doing it saying that this is a reaction to the U.S. Um, um, making their economic life more difficult. So this is this is a, a one of the trump cards they pull out, for want of a better phrase, and um, and the response to that is that the U.S. and uh, and Israel have been working together on a ballistic missile system to to knock out these um, nuclear missiles. Up in the uh, outside the atmosphere, um, so that uh, if Iran did choose to send them, um, Israel could knock them out before they came anywhere near Israel. And that that weapon system, uh, the Arrow Three system, was tested in in Alaska just this this week, and um, and they're very happy with the tests. Um, but you can see that um, here the huge amount of energy that's being expended because people. And nations uh, fall out, and they lose trust, and they lose cooperation. And before you know where they are, where we are, um, you know, we're we're doing all this kind of militarization again. And I've been thinking, you know, how we we've talked about the way in which language, for instance, you, you know, how we've talked about weaponizing language yeah. or weaponizing yeah. ideas. 
uh, you can see that weaponizing ideas uh, t- uh, it's the, it's it's a step toward actually militarizing um, ideologies and yes. uh, that's that's what we're seeing in the world at the moment and of course as you say this connection between the US and Israel because the potential target of Iran uh, is perhaps likely to be Israel. Israel doesn't have as many friends in the Middle East, but they do have a friend in the US, and the US working together with Israel to build this anti-missile defence system. So uh, there's a major set of uh, interlocking uh, issues there of uh, of diplomatic uh, moving forward and uh, so a very significant issue let's not spend too much time on it though because I don't want to miss the opportunity to hear some thoughts from you today Charles when it comes to issues of religious freedom because uh, there has been uh, all sorts of religious freedom uh, movements that are going on around the world it's not just here in Australia but yeah, uh, other yeah, nations right. other nations have some advantages that we don't uh, what are your thoughts on developments around the talk about religious freedom Yes, well, um, last week in the United States, there was an international conference um, run by the government there on the issue of religious freedom and the concern that religious freedom around the world is um, is, is moving backwards. It's going backwards. Uh, and um, they had, in Washington, they had this advanced religious freedom gathering. And, and um, you know, the, the accounts were, were uh, very sobering that in so many countries, just huge numbers of countries, huge numbers of incidents of, um, of religious persecution. And while the Christians are the, the main target, uh, they're not the only target. And so the people that were giving their stories were from various religious groups. And the thing that strikes me is that one thing that Australia does not have is it does not have a history of religious persecution. So um, it's not in our psyche, you know. So when the rest of the world is talking about religious persecution, they're talking about it because they have bodies that are scarred and bruised and wounded uh, and communities that have been torn apart by this kind of conflict. It's not part of our story. And because of that, uh, the the conversation that's going on um, in Australia seems rather theoretical, you know. It It sort of seems like much ado about nothing type thing. Um, uh, but um, we we must uh, part of the work of of legislators is is to preempt, is to anticipate where things could go, and uh, so that's it, I think it's kind of significant. For instance, President Trump, after he'd listened to a number of people telling their stories, survivors of persecution, he said this. He said, "In America, we have always understood that our rights come from God, not the government." Each of us has the right to follow the dictates of our conscience and the demands of our religious conviction. We know that if people are not free to practice their faith, then all the, of the freedoms are at risk. Now, that's the narrative of, of people who, who have got a history in religious persecution. And, of course, the United States were the founding fathers. It was all about that. And so it's right there in their mindset. We just simply don't believe that. We just simply don't believe that our rights come from God, you know, as a nation. The, for us, the whole debate of human rights is something that the government gives us and protects. 
But the whole debate historically has been, hang on a minute, this is not something the government gives us. These are inalienable. These are universal human rights, which is why the Universal Declaration of Human Rights is called exactly that and why the International Covenant of um, uh, of civil and political rights is called a covenant. It's, these, the history of this is deeply embedded in the influence and the, and the story, particularly of the Christian uh, community, as it wrestled um, with, um, with the conflict uh, in, in, within itself between Catholicism and Protestantism uh, and other versions of it. And we had to come to this place where we recognized, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, this has just got to stop. We just can't be doing this to each other. It's, it's, it's not only just destroying the Christian church and its credibility and witness, but it's also destroying society. And, uh, and where do these rights come from? They come from God, and that was how... And this is in the 20th century, you know, how the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and the ICCPR were, were fashioned. They were fashioned in that light. And, and that's just not the light that we see things on in here in Australia. Interesting, isn't it? As you reflect, we're not bearing the bruises, the scars, the wounds that have come with real religious persecution. At the moment, we're playing around the edges in some sense mm-hmm. uh, because, yes, there are people who are being drawn before tribunals and there are some challenges that are going on uh, to our Christianity and uh, we certainly don't uh, play the victim in all of that, but we recognise the reality. But as you say, around the a lot of the rest of the world where they have had that experience of persecution where they do bear the scars, then those words on those international declarations, those sorts of words actually come from real-life experience. They're not just a theory on paper. And uh, we haven't experienced that, so what's written on paper isn't so much a part of our reality. Let me ask you, though, Charles, with the government contemplating what they're going to be doing with legislations right now, uh, what your thoughts might be for... Uh, how the Prime Minister might be proceeding forward. And, you know, a lot of Christian listeners to our program will think, uh, here's a Christian Prime Minister. Surely he will defend our Christian freedoms. Uh, What are your thoughts for how he might diplomatically walk through this minefield of trying to get religious freedoms uh, in some ways nailed down in Australia? Give us some insights here. Yes, well, they, they, it's happening in two trenches. The first trench is, and this is what he's talking about now, he's consulting with the religious leaders after consulting with the, 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 the various governments. He's now consulting with religious leaders um, uh, and, and civil leaders, community, community leaders, about the fact that they intend to bring in legislation that uh, includes a religious discrimination bill and, and that sort of thing, which... Um, what he's just trying to do is sort of standardise, mop up, tidy up um, uh, obvious, um, obvious and simple, easily resolved things. Uh, and then the hard things are being referred in a second trench to um, the Australian uh, Law Reform Commission, and and that will not give its advice to government till April the twentieth uh, uh, next year. And um, there's a lot of issues that uh, that uh, that you know the Christian community is watching very closely, and the faith-based community broadly is watching very closely for because um, the, there's nothing controversial in the first wave. Um, it's the second wave. We we want to know whether uh, you know whether things will really be um, better for Christians. Um, certainly, the first wave will make hardly any difference, but. Um, 
Um, anyway, he's meeting with a number of um, Christian leaders. I'm participating in that next Monday, just to um, uh, you know, and it'll be a privilege. I'll be I'll be listening with all ears. And um, but uh, yeah, but uh, people shouldn't expect this to be happening quickly, and uh, Christians should not expect this to be necessarily, um, you know, like um, um, the Prime Minister riding out of Canberra on a white horse shouting and singing hallelujah. It, it's going to be a lot more moderate than that. And a sense in which when the government does table the proposed laws, and of course there'll be more debate that will go on when they do propose a, a certain bill around this religious freedom legislation, uh, that, uh, that there'll be uh, all sorts of uh, discussion about those things and uh, things won't necessarily happen quickly and there is a sense here in which we may well have to be humble and uh, and even expect that there might be compromises that need to be made uh, what are your thoughts on on how you might stand firm for an element of truth and uh, appreciating that uh, freedoms come from God uh, there'll be Christians who won't want to uh, sort of give ground what are your thoughts for the possibilities that there might need to be some levels of compromise um, I, I'd like to sort of launch off on uh, using some words that Mark Fowler wrote in an article. And, uh, you know, it's not often that uh, that you see in the daily paper uh, words that just ring, you know, really ring. And he was writing about G.K. Chesterton's uh, account of the, the murder of um, Archbishop Thomas a Becket. Uh, back in the 12th century, English knights riding into riding into Canterbury Cathedral and um, and slaying him there before the altar, killing the uh, killing the bishop and his, spilling his brains and his blood on the floor, uh, um, because King Henry had said, "Will no one rid me of this meddlesome priest?" And I didn't think he was really expecting quite such a dramatic event. But <clears throat> Chesterton wrote that uh, that uh, that that brain that was splashed across the floor, had been thinking uh, the great medieval concept of the church as the judge of the world. Now, Christendom saw the church as the moral conscience of society, and, uh, and it had a freedom to publicly condemn kings and kingdoms when they, uh, when they crossed into injustice. And Fowler writes these words. He says, Chesterton's words are a testament to the underlying consciousness haunting all governments that capacity of religious obligation or true religion, that capacity to inspire fearless moral critique. Now, one of the things we are seeing in Australia is we're seeing the church struggling with its responsibility for fearless moral critique. And it's sort of lots of the church is sort of trying to go quiet and uh, pass unnoticed. And thankfully, one or two are, are speaking up. But for the most part, that's happening. And part of it is because we still carry the shame of our many sins and failings. And, and we have to recognize the power of repentance and believe our own theology that if we sincerely confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then to pick up the mantle of responsibility, the prophetic office the church has, to speak fearlessly, uh, about issues that need to be addressed in society, and and that 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 fearlessness is not brash. It's it comes out of a deeply and profoundly humbled and repentant heart, and it almost seems to be paradoxical, doesn't it? That, that on the one hand we could be confessing our many faults, but then we have to rise up and say, "Hang on a minute, we've still got a role." Because if we don't have that role, who else will hold government accountable? 
Yes, it is a responsibility that cannot be ignored and in some sense it's going to take a lot of networking and moral humility from leaders to be able to unite together so that you can reformulate a voice that might be a a critique of the society because, as you say, uh, uh, it's not going to come from anywhere else. It needs to come from the church. Charles Newington, always appreciate your deep insights into the issues that are facing not only our nation but even as today we've been touching on those issues that are shaping the world. Let me point people to the website for Family Voice Australia. Charles Newington is the National Director of Family Voice Australia. They have a lot of great articles and resources that you can access when you're helping to think, when you're wanting some help in thinking through the issues as a Christian. Familyvoice.org.au Familyvoice.org.au Charles, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts once again with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.